This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number three, Alexi Lawless. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim talks with former World Cup soccer player Alexi Lawless. For me as, as a defender, you, you learn to take pride in things that other people might not see, whether it's, uh, you know, the... Uh, keeping a clean sheet, you know, not letting the opposing team score, whether it's your individual battle with, if I was marking a particular player, the fact that he wasn't involved in any scoring opportunities or I shut him down throughout the entire game. Alexi shares with Jim how he set goals for himself as a premier defenseman and how he stayed motivated to achieve both his goals and his team's goals. Funding for this program has been generously provided by Liberty Mutual. Responsibility. What's your policy? Alexi, I want to start off by formally introducing you to our audience. Alexi Lawless earned 96 caps playing for the U.S. national soccer team. He played in the 1994 World Cup and then became the first modern-era American soccer player to play in Italy's top division. After his playing career, Alexi was a general manager for several major league soccer teams, was elected to the National Soccer Hall of Fame, and now serves as an analyst for ESPN and ABC Sports. Alexi, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. So we talk about the best coaches being responsible coaches who fill their players' emotional tanks. Um, if, if your tank is full, kids can perform better. If they're drained, they don't do so well. You played for a lot of different coaches. Who are the best tank fillers, and do you remember anything specifically any of them did to fill your emotional tank? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the challenges for being a coach, especially at the the, the professional level, is and probably at all levels, um, you know, when, when you're talking about high school and, and college, is that you're dealing with players that are at different points in their career, which means that they're at different points of their experiences and and maturity levels. And so when I look back at my career, the, the people that had the, the the greatest impact were not only good coaches, but they recognized what I needed at that point in order to motivate me and, and excite me and, uh, and to draw out, draw out the best in me. So whether it was, uh, I went to Rutgers University and, and uh, it was my first time you know, being involved in a high-level program of soccer. Uh, Bob Riasso, who was my coach out there, recognized that you know, I had this physical ability, but I never thought about the game uh, in, in a tactical sort of sense, and that was my first exposure. And as an 18-year-old kid, I not only needed the discipline and, and the confidence, but also, um, you know, the recognition to sit down and say, "Hey, why are you kicking this ball there? Why are you running here?" And, and that that was important for me. And then, in 1994, when I first played for the U.S. in the World Cup, uh, I was coached by a, a coach named Bora Milutinovic, who uh, is a legend in international soccer. And you know, here I was stepping on the, the international stage. And a lot of people uh, didn't think that I was ready. And he uh, was one of the few people that, that, and most important people that believed in me and said, not only are you ready, but you're going to do very, very well, and this is going to change your life. And he called it. And uh, I lived the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual playing well on the field and 
parlaying that into into bigger and better things after that. Fantastic. Um, you know, in soccer, often after a goal is scored, another goal gets scored within a very short period of time. Any thoughts about what responsible coaches can do to help their players bounce back after a score, a goal is scored against them? Well, you know, it's your reaction to uh, whether it's a goal or any other you know type of situation is key in any sport. And in soccer, we talk about the next play uh, constantly being the most important play. So you're going to get scored on. Mistakes are going to be made, but it's how you react to that situation. And if you're on a team that that uh, gets scored upon, uh, recognize that uh, you know what mistakes were made, but don't dwell on them. And uh, there's also an opportunity to a certain extent, uh, and maybe much more in soccer, where the other team is very vulnerable after they score a goal. You know, they're very confident. Um, sometimes they, they uh, you know, they let up in terms of their concentration uh, and in terms of their formation, and you can capitalize on that. But I think the most important thing is collectively and individually, once you're scored on, not to let the other team see that uh, and, and, and uh, feel that you're, that you're down or that there's an opportunity to compound the problems that, you're, that, you've, that you've faced. And so your ability to come back, um, and whether it's scoring a goal or just showing that uh, you're going to be in the game and you're going to attack and, you continue, and you're not going to be affected as much by that goal, uh, all of those things are important and important for not just a coach to have the ability to impart that information to his team after a goal, uh, but the players to do it to each other. So you have to have that leadership within the team where the goal is scored, everybody looks at each other, everybody says whatever they need to say, but there's a recognition that, okay, we made a mistake, a goal was scored, it's not the end of the world, let's not make one mistake become another mistake, and now we're down 2-0. You know, I, I love what you just said, uh, and I was thinking about, uh, you know, these jokes where uh, everything is going wrong, and then, and then the coach will say, we've got them right where we want them. Um, <laughs> and I, I just, I love that, that, you know, the most, a team is most vulnerable after they've scored. That, that planning that in, in players' minds, okay, they just scored now, they're letting up, let's go get them, can really turn that around. Yeah, it, and it's not to say that <laughs> you want to give them that opportunity uh, to, and use it as a, as a tactic by any stretch of the imagination, but recognize that no matter how long you play, at some point you're going to come up against people that, whether it's for an entire game or whether it's for a specific period of time, they're going to be better than you and they're going to score goals and they're going to get points on you. And your ability to react is key, uh, not just in terms of your success for that individual game, but we all know that you know, we talk about seasons being much more than just one particular game. But your success rate, I think, is dependent on your ability to react to those mistakes. And I can, I can name so many times where either coaches or teams have been able to look back in the season and say, you know what, that game was important because it established the fact that we were able to, you know, withstand some, some mistakes, but we were able to react to it in a positive way. And, you know, that's so important, I think, I think in any sport. And you do tend to look back in the, in the season and say, you know what, that was a really, really important moment for the way that our team reacted, and it served us well going forward in terms of the success that we're feeling now. I love what you said. The next play is the most important play. That's something I think every youth coach should could, should say to their players. Um, you were you were a great defender. Um, you know, uh, offensive player gets uh, goals, assists. Um, what kept you motivated to play such great defense when there wasn't a specific individual statistics tied to it the way there is on offense? 
yeah, you know, at times it's a, <laughs> it's a lonely type of quest, uh, and you kind of have to take your, um, uh, your, your congratulations in, in a very quiet way because, you know, the difference between being a forward and being a defender is a defender can make a mistake once out of the 90 minutes and can play perfectly for 89 minutes, and that one minute that, that loses concentration or makes a mistake that can be the, the difference in the game as opposed to a forward who can have a horrible game for 89 minutes, score the one goal, run off the field, kiss the girl, and, uh, and, and ride off into the sunset. You know, that's just that's the nature of the positions. Um, for me as, as a defender, you, you learn to take pride in things that other people might not see, whether it's, uh, you know, the uh, keeping a clean sheet, you know, not letting the opposing team score, whether it's your individual battle with if I was marking a particular player, the fact that he wasn't involved in any scoring opportunities or I shut him down throughout the entire game. And you know, I, I can tell you there, there was times where I went up and scored goals, and that was all wonderful, but I also take much more pride in things that never scored up on the, on the score, uh, never showed up on the score sheet uh, and many things that were never talked about you know, publicly, but I knew that I did well. And so you have to be very comfortable in, in who you are and what you do on the field and the role that you play um, you know, and take your take your victories as as quiet as they might be, uh, but as important as they are. Was there um, was there one responsible coach in your life who really helped you become a an outstanding defender? Um, you know, truth be told, when I got to uh, college, I, I grew up in Michigan, I, and I came out uh, to Rutgers University, and. Uh, as I said, it was my first experience with high-quality soccer in that I was playing against players that not only were uh, as good, but many were better than me in a, in a very good area in, uh, in the East Coast in terms of soccer. Um, and I started thinking about uh, soccer in a different way. I had always played in the midfield and forward and kind of just free-formed it around there. And the coach said, listen, we need some defenders. And I you know, sussed out the situation and recognized very quickly that my quickest way to get on the field was to, was to actually uh, play defender. And so I uh, you know, rose, raised my hand and said, oh, yeah, I can play defender, no problem. Uh, I had not played much defense at all. Uh, and I very, very quickly learned that it was something that I enjoyed and something that I loved. But I, I for a long time, just relied on my physical abilities, uh, you know, because I was – stronger and taller than a lot of people. But that only gets you so far because eventually you come up to people that are just as tall, just as strong, or in soccer particular case, guys that are much faster, whether they're taller or not, uh, and quicker. And it's very difficult sometimes for a tall guy to match up against a smaller guy, and, uh, and those were struggles. So I had to think tactically on position. And uh, when I got to playing you know, with, uh, in Olympics and international games, um, especially in the World Cup in, in 1994, uh, I was as focused mentally on what I was doing and each moment in the game in terms of my position as I was on my physical uh, ability to defend. And that came because Bora Milutinovic, who was the coach in, in the 94 uh, World Cup for the U.S., would sit me down after every single training and we would go through videotape. And why, what was the decision process that you had for why you're standing there at this particular moment. And maybe this is what you need to be thinking of. And it translated because I can remember moments in my international career where I got in situations that I could reference back to say, you know what, we've talked about this, or we've seen this on video, and this is what I need to do. And this is all happening within very split second decisions. But, you know, that's coaching. And that's, uh, you know, that's a level of respect and an understanding and credibility that comes from a coach saying, 
This is the situation you're going to get in. These are the options that you're going to be given. Picking the best one is going to dictate your success. Uh, and then finding yourself in that situation, being able to recognize it and be able to execute and pick the best option. You know, you, you talked about um, going up to the college level at Rutgers and playing against people who were at least as good as you and maybe even better. It seemed to me that must have uh, been even more prevalent when you signed with Padova uh, and became the first modern-era American soccer player to play in the Italian Serie A. How did you approach that challenge of, of playing against some of the very best players in the world? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, uh, the international game in terms of uh, club soccer around the world, it, it shifts constantly. So right now we always think about uh, the EPL over in England right now because it's where all the players are, it's where all the money is. Well, back in the mid-'90s and early-'90s and, and late-'80s, it was all about uh, the Italian Serie A. That was where all the players were, and that's players go where the prestige is and the money is, and that's where it was. And so what I was given the opportunity to do was every Sunday when I went out and played for uh, Padova, which was a very small team that just came into the first division, is that I was playing against the best strikers in the world. And every single weekend I knew that I was coming up and marking one of the best, whether it was uh, you know, a, a Ravinelli or whether it was Espria or whether it was Batistuta or whether it was Zola, all these great players that played over there at the time. And so for me, it was great as a defender because I knew I was going to be challenged each and every Sunday uh, individually and collectively because my team wasn't you know, one, of the, one of the premier teams in the league. Um, and I learned so much on the field in terms of that type of competition each and every Sunday. But I also became a, not just a better player, but a much better person for having gone through the process, whether it was uh, you know, trying to adapt and immerse myself in this new culture, learning the language, um, and then having to uh, perform uh, each and every Sunday in the fishbowl that is soccer over there. So it was... Uh, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience for me, uh, something I wouldn't trade for the world. And as I said, not only be, did I become a better soccer player, but uh, I, I also became a better, uh, better person for it. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, you, your uh, kids are going to be out there playing sometime soon. Um, what, any thoughts about what sports parents can do to help their kids get the most out of sports experience? Well, you know what, I, I was, uh, I guess it's fortunate. I look at it as being fortunate in that I grew up in a, in a household where um, my father was a professor and my mother was a writer. And uh, sports and certainly uh, the possibility of, of one of their children becoming a professional athlete was not, nece- not necessarily high on the list uh, when they thought of what they envisioned for their, for their children. But, but the reality is that um, it, it enabled me to, first off, be exposed to a lot of other things. Um, you know, from an early age, the, the education part was huge for me, uh, which you can't avoid when you have a professor and a writer for, for, for parents. My mother was heavily involved in, in music, and so she exposed me to that at a very early age. Um, and then the, the sports part of it uh, was always a, a situation where if it makes you happy and you're enjoying it, do it, but also recognize that there's all these other things that you might be good at that you might enjoy, and there's other sports too. And I was heavily involved in ice hockey, um, and, and I tried absolutely everything, everything out there, but I was also never in a situation where I was pressured by my parents to play sports, and it's not that they weren't proud of me, it's not that they didn't support me in what I was doing, but it wasn't uh, a situation where I was doing it for, for my father or I was doing it for anybody else. Uh, they just re- recognized that 
sports can not only help me from a physical standpoint, but, but an emotional standpoint and, and growing and becoming a better person. And even though they didn't have uh, a, a sports background per se, they recognized the value of sports uh, in, in a young kid in terms of growing up, uh, not just what it does on the field, but what it does off the field. You know, contrasting your parents' approach to the, the overly fanatical sports parents we see today, boy, it seems like kids would do better with your kind, the kind of parents you had. Yeah, you know, I, I also think, you know, there, there's also a time, you know, I was very, <laughs> for for lack of a better word, uh, motivated uh, individual in terms of wanting to compete and wanting to be good and to win and to uh, um, and to excel in things that I was doing. Uh, I also recognize that there's some, you know, people that need to be uh, pushed a little in order to get that drawn out. Uh, and there were some times too where where I needed that. And um, you know, although my parents, as I said, weren't you know constantly talking to me and and, and pressuring me when it came to my sports. They also recognize that anything that you do, make sure that you're doing it uh, with a passion uh, and with a dedication. And whether it was music that I was doing or whether it was my studies or anything else, they expected the same level of commitment uh, and respect for, in this case, soccer or, or the game, uh, as anything else. And I think that, that was very, very important. Um, I don't know, I, out there, you know, I, I meet kids all the time. Uh, my experience is certainly going to be different and unique than anybody else's, uh, not necessarily uh, better or worse, uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's my experiences. But I'm, I'm real glad that I was in that type of situation because I do think that I'm the type of person that had it been uh, a situation where mom or dad were just constantly on me and, and they might have taken the fun that ultimately enabled me to succeed uh, out of the game. Yeah. You talk about respect for the game. We have a phrase, as you know, called we call it the roots of honoring the game, where root mm-hmm. stands for respect for the rules, for your opponents, for the officials, for your teammates, and then respect for yourself. Um, so imagine yourself a few years from now when you're a sports parent uh, on the sidelines, your kid is playing, and you see another parent who's doing things that don't that don't honor the game. Any thoughts about how you might respond? Well, you know, I, I also know how, you know, how mortified I was uh, of being embarrassed by my parents uh, or how uh, there comes a point, you know, when you're uh, a young kid where uh, anything your parents do is uncool. <laughs> and, uh, and I recognize that and I respect that. Uh, I also think that as a parent, you, you have a responsibility to, uh, you know, find those, uh, you know, I know it's, a, it's jargon, but those teachable moments. And whether it's, you know, contrasting or just pointing out the situation so that your kids understand it and most importantly gain a perspective through something that might have happened that either they did or something that's happening, as you said, you know, on the sideline, uh, it's important. It's not my responsibility, uh, nor uh, do I want to be parenting somebody else's kid or to tell anybody else necessarily how to parent their kid with with regards to sports uh, or anything else. But if there comes a point where it's hurting the experience of the group or if it's hurting the experience of one individual player uh, and then it's affecting somebody, you know, you got you got to you got to deal with it because 
you know, ultimately, this is not <laughs> this is not professional sports we're, we're dealing with. This are, these are kids that are learning lessons, and these are kids that are um, involved in sports for any number of reasons. And it's not it might not all be uh, to become professional uh, athletes. As a matter of fact, 99.9 percent of them will never ever ever become professional athletes. But it doesn't mean they don't deserve the same amount of respect uh, and can't get as much out of the participation in the game uh, as somebody who goes on and scores a bunch of touchdowns or, or, or scores a bunch of goals. You, Alexei, you used one of my favorite terms, uh, teachable moments. One of the great things about sports for responsible coaches or responsible sports parents is almost every game there's several, at least several teachable moments. Things work out well, there's a teachable moment. Things don't work out, there's a teachable moment. I, I really like that phrase. Yeah, and you know it's it you know it's a phrase that you know is kind of uh, caught on, and you know, everybody from uh, from us to the president uses it. And it, these phrases tend to come out, but recognizing what a teachable moment is is an art in itself. Uh, and then figuring out how to use that moment and to explain something clearly and concisely so that it resonates with with a child uh, or a young adult, you know that's that's key. And the fact is, we talk about kids right now, but you're going to continue to have teachable moments throughout your life where you're, where you're learning, whether it's on the field uh, or, or off the field, and your ability to recognize that as a, as a parent and then deal with it appropriately uh, is going to go a long way to not just developing the, a great soccer player or, or football player or anything else, but developing a great kid and ultimately a great adult. Yeah, I like that a lot. You know, um, you were you were a elite soccer player and hockey player. I think you might your team might have won the state title when you were in high school in Michigan in hockey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, listen, you grew up in Michigan. It's a law. You got to play hockey. And and for the couple <laughs> weeks for the couple weeks that the snow melted, I went and played soccer. So I actually played a whole lot more hockey uh, growing up. And uh, you know, the hockey scene up in Michigan is very very different than the soccer scene was. It's much more cutthroat and much more pressure filled. And I, I enjoy playing hockey. I actually now that I've retired from soccer, play, continue to play hockey and play much more hockey than soccer. So it's, it's a part of your life when you're growing up uh, in Michigan and something that uh, I, I enjoy so much and maybe even enjoy it even more now uh, that I've stopped playing soccer. But didn't you say earlier uh, before we got, got on, online that you were going to be actually be playing hockey tonight? I do. I play hockey uh, a couple times a week, and uh, it's amazing. You know, I live uh, in Los Angeles, and uh, you, you find all these transplants from uh, Canada and, and uh, uh, you know, northern places that have kind of said, all right, you know, I love my country or I love my state up north, but it's really, really cold, and I'd much rather be in a place where there's some sun. But, uh, you know, you can, uh, uh, you can thaw out down in Los Angeles, but you never lo- lose that love for hockey. And so we all kind of meet uh, in the middle of the night at these rinks and, and uh, play the sport that we love. You know, there's a lot of pressure on parents and kids nowadays to specialize really early, play baseball year long, soccer all year long, whatever the sport is. Uh, do you feel like um, playing hockey in high school and college helped you in your soccer career? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about this a lot because, uh, you know, and, and I go back and forth. I just think that in my particular instance, I think I benefited as an athlete by playing other sports. Um, whether it was just the the, the, the practical um, benefits of using different muscle groups and using different ways of thinking about the game uh, to, you know, getting a break from, uh, you know, 
even if it was soccer, it was still pretty intense. I was doing it a lot because I loved it and was constantly seeking out soccer opportunities. But then when it came time to play hockey, uh, you know, it, it took me away from soccer. And I think that if I look back, I think it was important. Uh, does it mean that, uh, that I would, uh, wouldn't have been better had I just concentrated on soccer? Eh, I might have been better. But I also think you hedge your bets. And there is a risk, and, a, and a, probably a much greater risk, of burning out and uh, turning a, a kid off of soccer if it's just too much. So understanding whether, whether a kid plays one sports or, or multiple sports, I prefer that they at least try to play other sports. And if they gravitate towards one, okay, but you'll know when that gravitation has occurred. And then regulating and understanding that as much as they want to play, that's okay, but if it comes to a point where it's affecting them physically, uh, emotionally, uh, or affecting other parts of their life, whether it's you know schoolwork or friends or anything like that, uh, then that can be detrimental and it can stunt their development if that's what you're really really looking at in terms of their athletic development. Yep. You know, um, throughout this whole conversation, you've talked about uh, the lessons that you learned through sports. Um, we talk about responsible coaches having two goals: one is preparing a team to win on the scoreboard, but then that more important goal of teaching life lessons through sports. Um, explicitly, are, are there life lessons that you feel like you've learned through participation as an athlete that have helped you in your career since you retired? Um, well, you know, I, I retired when I was, uh, let's see, 33 years old. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to be a, a general manager for a, a couple of teams along the way. And that's what I've done the past five or six years. And uh, now I'm involved in, in television. And as a GM, you know, you're, you're basically responsible for uh, a type of team in the office that you run. Uh, and your ability to lead and your ability to motivate and your ability to recognize the individual needs of, you know, your, your staff in this case or, or on the field, it's, it's your teammates, uh, is crucial. Uh, also understanding that uh, you don't have all the answers. And your ability to surround yourself with quality um, is key to your individual success. Uh, and your ability to share the wealth, so to speak, uh, in that everybody needs to feel that they are appreciated is key. And all of these things are the same things that make uh, individual players great uh, or individual players great within the team that they play. Uh, so, you know, that whole teamwork, and, and it gets – it gets a little general, but, um, you know, there is things that, that I relate back to. I mean, you know, as a GM, I got fired. Uh, as a player, I got told, you know, you're no longer wanted here and you're getting traded. And, you know, nobody likes to be told that, that this isn't uh, working and uh, that we don't want you anymore. But your ability to believe in yourself and recognize that you have value and to recognize that you're better for having gone through the entire experience, as painful as it may be at that moment, um, you know, that comes with time. And that comes with, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, depending how you look at it, having that experience several times. You know, I've been traded, I've been fired, I've been asked to leave, I've been called names, uh, I've been all of these things, whether it was as a soccer player or as a GM. And you learn from those, and you recognize that you go on and that this is a this is a trek and this is an adventure, uh, and it's not always going to go smoothly. Alexi, uh, this has been great. Any, uh, any question I should have an asked you? Anything you'd like to say that we haven't covered? 
No, I mean, you know, when I when I first got involved with with PCA, uh, you know, there, there's there's always the initial question that you know, I know you've gotten for years about, uh, you know, that that's all fine and well, but does this mean that you that you you're not competitive or you don't want to win? And uh, you know, I certainly had the f- same question when I first got involved, and that was very 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 quickly uh, dealt with. And uh, you know, I am one of the most competitive guys in the world, uh, but I'm competitive with perspective. And I'm competitive in the knowledge that I'm not always going to win, uh, even though I want to. And that's okay. And I'm also competitive uh, in the knowledge that respect for the game and respect for other players uh, is something that tends to outlive the scoreline. And, uh, and that's important because as, as wonderful as a career I've had and as important as sports have been to me, um, there's so many other things in life that you are going to go through uh, that are going to be so much more important. But, you know, the values and the lessons that you learn from sports, uh, I think, are, are key. And so uh, I'm so glad that I was involved in sports at, at an early age. I'm glad that it instilled in me, in me that competitive spirit, um, but also that sense of, uh, of fair play uh, and respect for the game and for the others that play it. I want to thank you, Alexi, for taking the time today to share with uh, all of our responsible sports listeners out there your thoughts both as an athlete and a parent. And uh, I just know your insights are going to be uh, helpful to parents and coaches out there listening. So thank you for this, and thank you for your ongoing support of the Positive Coaching Alliance. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this Alexi Lawless episode of Liberty Mutual's Responsible Sports Podcast. To learn more about responsible sports, including how to help your athletes set goals and focus their efforts against these goals, visit responsiblesports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music. www.apmmusic.com. www.apmmusic.com